Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday the 21st of November. I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... Who's booked their place at the Euros? Italy going to Germany where they won the World Cup in 2006 wanting to win something again. How badly will PSG miss their young starlet? He's played all four of PSG's Champions League matches, got three assists in those. And what does the Copa America announcement mean for the World Cup? I feel like Atlanta is well positioned to to host some big games come the World Cup. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Italy scraped through to the European Championship last night with a 0-0 draw in their final group game against Ukraine. It means Luciano Spalletti's side, who were perhaps fortunate to avoid conceding a last-minute penalty. And he rolls it across, Modric's gone down! Referee says no! Is there any contact here? Oh, there is! They will not look at it. Can defend their Euros crown in Germany next summer, having come through a difficult campaign which saw them lose twice to England. Watching the winner-takes-all match was our Italian football writer, James Horncastle. James, that was a penalty all day long, wasn't it? Pretty tense in stoppage time? (laughs) That's right. Incredibly tense end to this game in Leverkusen. Ukraine needed to win in order to qualify. And Mudrik gets into the penalty area. It looks like he's taken out by Brian Cristante, the Roma midfield player. But the VAR didn't bring the referee over to the monitor. And to be honest, if you look at the the replay from behind Mudrik, it looks like he jumps before there is any contact, if there was any contact. But needless to say, that would have, in some respects, been quintessentially Italy in recent times when it's come to qualifying for major tournaments, making life difficult for themselves. Everyone remembers the, the playoff against Sweden for the 2018 World Cup, which... Italy did not qualify for a playoff against North Macedonia in Palermo, which they lost and then didn't go to the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. So there was certainly some relief at the end of the game. So how much can we judge this Italy side? I mean, Spalletti was only appointed a few months ago. I think it's still very early to judge Spalletti and this team. They've only lost one game against England. Remember, they took the lead at Wembley. They played well in the first half before being completely overwhelmed in the second half and outplayed by Jude Bellingham, which I think we've seen lots of teams have that fate. But I think there are signs that this team is evolving into a Spalletti team. For example, you'll see Federico Di Marco, the inter wingback, is becoming an inverted fullback and an extreme inverted fullback at that as well. You know, we've seen Guardiola do this with his fullbacks, Jao Cancelo and Rico Lewis, but Spalletti's interpretation of this isn't for 
Di Marco just to become a, a midfield player. It's almost like a number 10 or as a second striker. Chiesa has played very well in the last two games. Yeah, he helped the 5-2 win against North Macedonia, uh, particularly in the first half. He was the source of Italy's uh, best chances. So it's been good to see him return for the first time in five months. Yeah, things are beginning to take some shape. And given all that, what should the expectations be for the reigning champions out in Germany next year? Well, Donnarumma, after the game, was uh, saying that, look, we're going to Germany, we deserve to be there, and Italy goes holders, and as holders, they want to retain their title. I think the problem for them is that they will likely be a fourth seed in the draw after the nil-nil against Ukraine. So, okay, they've qualified, but they will go into a pot which will probably deal them quite a difficult group. I think even though Italy went into the last Euros on that world record-breaking unbeaten run, few people would have picked them to win that tournament. They surprised a lot of people. And I think they can maybe surprise people again because this team does have a core of good young players. And you never know how they may develop over the next six or seven months. I mean, for example, in Leverkusen, uh, the Torino defender, Alessandro Bongiorno, comes into the side, and this has been a theme of Spalletti, changing his centre-backs all the time. Bongiorno played magnificently. So let's see what happens. But Italy going to Germany, where they won the World Cup in 2006, wanting to win something again. Thanks, James. Czech Republic and Slovenia joined Italy in qualifying for the Euros last night, with Slovenia beating surprise package Kazakhstan 2-1 and sending them into the playoffs early next year. Elsewhere, England played out a very forgettable one-all draw away at North Macedonia, which did actually have some significance. Rico Lewis made his debut for starters, but more importantly, the draw, secured by an own goal by Yanni Atanasov, means England have one of the best qualifying records and will therefore be a top seed when the draw for the tournament is made in December. See, it is coming home after all. France may have already qualified for the Euros, but one of their newest stars won't be on the team sheet when they end their campaign in Greece tonight. As Paris Chanterman's Warren Zaire Emery will be out until the new year with an ankle injury. Peter Rutzler follows France and PSG for The Athletic. What are the details with this one, Pete? How significant is this injury? Zaire Emery's picked up a right ankle injury, an ankle sprain, during France's record-breaking 14-0 win over Gibraltar. Of course, he made headlines for that game. He became France's youngest player since 1914. Obviously, youngest, youngest player was a scorer as well. But in the process of scoring, he injured his right ankle, and that, will, that means he will be out of action until 2024. And it seems like he's been a pretty crucial component to PSG's midfield recently. How are they going to replace him? Yeah, it's actually quite a considerable miss, uh, which is quite remarkable, really, for a 17-year-old. And I think that tells its own story about how impressive he's been and, and the way in which he's forced his his way into Luis Enrique's side as a, as a regular. Arsene Wenger recently described him using the English phraseology of a, a box-to-box midfielder. And that's, that's what he is. He can do everything. He can tackle, he can score, he can create... He's played all four of PSG's Champions League matches, got three assists in those. PSG have two really crucial games next month against Newcastle and, and, and Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund, and, and, and not having Zaire Emery actually will be a loss. And I think there is a midfield question with PSG. There was after Marco Verratti left in the summer. Zaire Emery's just come in and, and slotted in perfectly, and he's, he's 
the one player who's been ever present in that area. So uh, it certainly poses some questions for Luis Enrique. How is he going to shape that midfield? Who's going to come in and replace him? I don't think there's really a player with his technical qualities in, in, in the team in that way. So not having Zaire Emery is a, is, is a big miss. Thanks, Pete. And talking of injuries picked up during the international break, Barcelona have confirmed that midfielder Gavi has suffered a complete tear of his anterior cruciate ligament in his right knee. The 19-year-old will undergo surgery later this week and is unlikely to play again this season or at the Euros next summer. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Now, whilst here in Europe we're dealing with Euro qualification, over in South America the focus is already on qualifying for the 2026 World Cup and matches don't get much bigger than Brazil v Argentina, which happens tonight in the Maracanar, Rio de Janeiro. Argentina currently topped the qualifying table, having lost just once, but Brazil are having a much tougher time of it and are in fifth spot, having lost consecutive qualifying matches for the first time in their history. To tell us more about this one, it's the athletic soccer writer Felipe Cardenas. Argentina looked pretty dull in their last match against Uruguay, Felipe. Scaloni said he's going to have to make changes, but not based on performance. So what changes can we expect tonight? And will Messi be one of them? There's no way that Messi will not start in this game. You know, he played the full 90. He's fit. You know, there all those fitness concerns that he had beginning in September have been squashed. Like he looked fit. He looked really strong against Uruguay. And so he's going to, he's the captain. He's going to be there. I think we're, we're Scaloni perhaps could make a change would probably be in midfield, you know, considering they are going to the Maracanã, they're going to Rio. The heat is supposed to be very, very bad and they're the visiting squad. And so I think you could see perhaps Leandro Paredes step into the midfield just to make a stronger, more stout midfield and, and try to just battle against Brazil and, and limit the transition moments that certainly Brazil is going to look for. Another change could be Di Maria, perhaps Di Maria, Angel Di Maria, who came on in the second half against Uruguay. Does he get the start? And what does that do for Argentina? If Di Maria starts, you do you sort of think Argentina thinks that they, they will have the ball and they can control that match. But that's the thing about these games between Brazil and Argentina. It's it's a rivalry. It's they 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 don't like each other. Uh, I know they're both wounded right now, but it's really difficult to gauge who's going to be in control here. So Brazil have had these this awful set of results by their lofty standards, lost their last two. Is it time to panic? I would say yes, because it's Brazil, precisely because it's Brazil. They're the five-time world champions. They they should not be sitting below Venezuela in, in at any moment in his in their history right now in, in the standings. So right now they're in fifth place. If the the qualifiers were to end today. Brazil would be automatically in six teams are going, but still, you know, they have not played well. They don't have a full-time manager. Fernando Diniz is pulling double duty, but, you know, coaching Fluminense, winning the Copa Libertadores. And then on his days off, he's coaching the national team. To me, that seems like it just is not a good thing to do. You're, you're, you're really stretching yourself thin. And I'm still shocked by the Brazilian Federation's very public, approach to this to their head coaching position saying essentially we're going to wait for Carlo Ancelotti in the meantime we'll just get through the qualifiers and perhaps they were a bit too overconfident you know the, the world cup qualifiers in south america remain the strongest the fiercest the the closest there is in the world even though more teams are going even though 48 teams are going to the world cup these first 5 rounds in south america have been tense and you know brazil has paid the price and you say Brazil, hoping Carlo Ancelotti is going to lead them into the 2024 Copa America, which is in the US, of course. And they've just announced the cities of the first and last games of that tournament, Atlanta and Miami. 
What does that mean for these cities in terms of the 2026 World Cup? I'm based in Atlanta. And what I can say based on just, you know, talking to city officials and people that have been involved with the World Cup bid is that they want Atlanta to be a prominent host city in the 2026 World Cup, not just host one game, not just be the media hub. But from a sporting perspective, Atlanta wants to be a big player in the sport of football. And they've now been named the, the headquarters for U.S. soccer. They're going to host all the national teams. And I think getting the inaugural game for Copa America, obviously, there has been work that's been done with the planning committee to, to get the city to, to, to host a prominent match. What that tells me is that I feel like Atlanta is well positioned to, to host some big games come the World Cup. For Miami, the same thing. Miami's always going to be a big host city when any major tournament comes to the U.S. Miami's been in the in the news for the last six months with Leo Messi coming to Inter Miami. I know they're building a stadium for for Inter Miami in 2025, but they have Hard Rock, which is a big stadium. They've hosted Argentina there before, and they sold it out in in no time. Uh, it felt like a, a home game for Argentina. So I think culturally. Miami makes a lot of sense to host the final for Copa America. And, and I'm I'm going to be interested to see what Miami does for 2026. Are they hosting perhaps a, a quarterfinal? Are they hosting what the defending champions? Will Argentina set up their home base in Miami? So two cities, Atlanta and Miami, that are being considering themselves big players in this sport right now. Thanks, Felipe. That tasty tie between Brazil and Argentina, and Brazil have never lost a World Cup qualifier at home ever, is on Telemundo at 7.30pm Eastern Time in the States. In the UK, after all that build-up, we're just going to have to live vicariously through Felipe's Twitter feed instead, because it's not on telly over here. There are some decent qualifiers in the Euros on tonight, though. There could be a famous night for Wales, who will reach the Euros if they can beat Turkey, who've already qualified, and Croatia slip up against Armenia. Both those matches are on Viaplay. Right, that's all for today's briefing. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, now is the time to become one. We're running a Black Friday deal all this week. Head to theathletic.com slash briefing for $1 or £1 a month for 12 months. Thanks for listening. I'm in Tim Spears. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman. And executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Michael Bailey will be with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.